Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Lones. A huge engine failure, it appears, for Erica. The smoke funneling out of the back of the car. Stanfield drives by. It's the Route 66 Nationals pre-race show with Tony Pedragon and NHRA on Fox's producer, Todd Benny. And it's Trip Tatum for the first time in his career. 370 flat, 330 miles an hour. We're taking you inside the biggest stories leading up to one of the most highly anticipated races of the year. Bobby Bodie's 074, and he blows the body off the car. Going through the finish line stripe, Bobby maintains control of the automobile. This is the NHRA Insider. Number 16 is going to take out number one. He left on a, by a day and a half. Both Manson Hines bikes are out, and it is crazy town at Pro Stock Motorcycle. Hey everybody, Brian Lones here for the NHRA Insider Podcast. This is our pre-Chicago race edition. It is going to be absolutely spectacular. The Gerber Collision in Glass, Route 66 Nationals, presented by Peak. This will be, um, what an event. It is a homecoming of sorts. First time we've been to Route 66 Raceway since 2019. We are coming back with a vengeance. we got a drag and drive exposition going on, or exhibition going on, with the likes of Alex Taylor and Tom Bailey, some of the great stars of the drag and drive world, Brian Goldstone and others. We have our all-star pro stock call-out, $45,000 on the line, the vast majority going to the winner of that eight-car contest. We have Too Fast, Too Tasty happening for Pro Stock Motorcycle, Pro Stock, uh, rather, Pro Stock Motorcycle, Funny Car and Top Fuel, Bumper Crop of Pro Racers, 21 Top Fuel Dragsters. Uh, I believe we have 18 or 19 Funny Cars, 20 Pro Stock Cars. The bikes are overflowing. The Pro Mod category has like 20-something entries. Um... And then all the sportsman categories are banging as well. I think we got almost 30 comp cars here, which is a great count for comp eliminator, including our own Bruno Massel, who's finally going to be able to race again at his home racetrack. So of all the stuff that is going on in and around this event, uh, if you're not planning on being there, you can watch us, of course, all weekend long on FS1. Uh, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern on Friday evening, we will be live for qualifying. Yes, Friday night live qualifying. First time in a long time for us on that front. And then our elimination shows and qualifying shows will go uh, on Sunday. Uh, we have our Pro Stock All-Star Callout. That's a standalone show you'll be able to watch Sunday. Final qualifying in all the categories you can watch Sunday. And then Sunday night is when our race broadcast is. It's 10 p.m. Eastern on FS1. And you're going, oh, my God, they put the race on at 10 p.m. Eastern. What are they doing to us? Why are we getting pushed back? Why are we getting shoved to the side? Wrong answer. We are following the NASCAR All-Star Race, which when we talk about TV, we talk about, you know, what are we leading into? Are we the lead-in for something? What's what's coming in behind us? For us, being able to be uh, adjacent to coming off the NASCAR All-Star Race is great. It means there's going to be a lot of racing eyeballs already tuned into FS1 watching the event, and it makes a nice transition to our race in Chicago to come off of that NASCAR All-Star Race. So if you're an early riser, maybe you set your DVR. Otherwise, take a nap during the day. Get a little sleep Saturday, and then stay up and watch us on Sunday night. Watch the All-Star Race. Watch drag racing. What's a better way to spend a Sunday evening than that? It's going to be fantastic. TJ Zizzo's back. Jacob Paterny's back. We look at Dale Creasy Jr. We look at uh, Ryan Ayler. We look at all these racers, uh, Bobby Bodie, all these racers that are from the greater Chicagoland area or even Illinois, Tim Wilkerson, uh, among others. So it has a great feel to it. Tony Schumacher, originally a Chicago guy. He claims Texas now is home, which is fine. But his roots are in Chicago, as are the roots of his father. 
Um, we're going to get into a lot of discussion with Todd Venny, who is a pit producer for the NHRA and Fox broadcast, also a guy who raced for many years in alcohol funny cars, winning on the regional and national event level. And Tony will also be on the show. And really, it's in some ways, it's almost like a half-season look at the pro stock category because we're about halfway in their regular season. And then on the other side of it, you know, we're basically past the 25% point, or will be when we complete this race, of the entire 2023 season. So the storylines that have developed now start to be less loose and start to formalize themselves a little bit. People that are good are probably going to stay good. People that aren't good need to really figure it out fast or risk being kind of blown off into the dust. Um, This is a racetrack that is traditionally very fast. The NHRA Safety Safari is putting a ton of effort into making sure surface is pinpoint perfect and will be when we get our cars on it. Weather is looking temperate and beautiful. And so all the elements are there for us to come back into a place and really kind of have a lot of fun, give people a fantastic show, and kind of blow the roof off it all at the same time. Um, You know, I think when we look at the quality of the facility in Chicago, we look at the proximity of it to this major market, uh, we talk about places, you know, leaving us. Well, this is a place we got back, and it's a place we got back, and we really want to keep back in the fold year to year, and that fan support will be the determining factor. And as it looks right now, again, I always sound like a used car salesman, but as it looks right now on the pre-sale side of things, if you're planning on coming Saturday and you're planning on just kind of walking up and waltzing in and getting a ticket, I would strongly recommend you get your tickets online early because when you go and look and see what's left, it ain't much. It ain't much. So I just can't wait for the energy and the excitement of this race weekend to kick off. In terms of major stories that have broken around the sport in the last couple of days or last week or two, not a ton. Pro Stock Motorcycle got a weight adjustment. We'll talk about that uh, when we get into our discussions. The Nitro Funny Car category, which had a uh, a rule regarding the height of the body, uh, that rule is rescinded. So they can go back to uh, doing what they were doing previous to this year. Uh, some discussion on drivability and some discussion on other elements uh, had the tech department go back to the previous iteration of the body height rules for Nitro Funny Car. And that has kind of been it. Uh, it's been relatively quiet. There was a lot of people testing or trying to test over the last couple of days at Indy. Uh, TJ Zizzo, if you're unaware, we spoke to him last week. Great conversation with TJ. Um, Chris King, who's a Chicago fireman, spoke to him last week. He'll be back in the Nitro Funny Car. I mean, we go down the list of, of really kind of fun stories in this weekend's race, and it's, it's almost endless. So... Uh, I don't know how much uh, more blathering I need to do before I get the guests up here, but just understand, if you're going to come to Chicago, you're going to see a great show, and you're going to see a, um, a very impassioned fan base reignited, and you're going to see a lot of very passionate racers throwing down to do what they can do, whether it's to win the big money in the call-out, which are going to do that Friday afternoon. We're going to have the call-out portion of the Pro Stock program, so you're not going to miss that in the pits at our Nitro Alley stage. Um too fast, too tasty means people are going to be getting paid extra money in top fuel, funny car, and pro stock motorcycle, drag and drive cars. They'll be actually be cruising around the streets of Joliet before the weekend starts. So all of it is good. All of it is exciting. And all of it will be the topic of this upcoming conversation with Tony Pedragon and Todd Venny. So don't go anywhere. When we come back, I'll introduce the guests and we'll get on with the show here in the NHRA Insider. So welcome back to the NHRA Insider, as this is a race week show. As I told you at the top of the show, two guests today, and we've gone to the bullpen for one of them. Tony Pedregon, you knew he was going to be here, but Todd Venny, pit producer for the NHRA on Fox, joins us this week. Todd, how you doing, man? Good, Brian. Good to be here. 
man, it is going to be uh, it's going to be a great weekend in Chicago. It's a homecoming of sorts. We haven't been there since the 2019 race, and we come in with big fields, 21 top fuel dragsters. We've got overflow and funny car, motorcycle, pro stock bike, and pro mod. And so. I guess we kind of take it from the top here, Tony, and, and I start with Pro Stock Motorcycle. NHRA made a rules adjustment. They hung some weight on the Suzuki's, 10 pounds worth for the four-valve uh, motorcycles. I'm not sure that's going to do much because they're all getting the 10 pounds. What's your, <laughs> what's your thought on the weight addition? Because it's, if it's going across the board, it should slow everybody down equally. It might go quicker. <laughs> I, I don't uh, – I think it might it might slow down a little bit, but, I you know, uh, not a lot. I, I think the – I think what really surfaces is the fact that, uh, you know, that, that the Vance and Hines team, if you look at the resources, I mean, if you need only drive by their facility, um, long hours, uh, you know, this is just, it's been one of the, one of the upper echelon teams in pro stock motorcycle for so long. And, um, I think the bigger surprise is that they just weren't winning that many races over the last couple of years. Yeah. And, you know, they've made some changes to the team and, and, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think they're finally able to apply the power. And of course they've, uh, you know, they've just, I think they're able to R and D more than any other team. And, uh, you know, they have the dinos and, uh, you know, hanging weight on them. I, I think it's a step in the right direction. I don't think anyone is, as opposed to seeing, you know, closer racing in this class. I think right now we're seeing them at their best. Yeah. And I think there's a couple of riders. I think Savoie's team can get a little bit better. And there's no question that Matt Smith really came to life uh, when he needed to at the four wide, but I don't think we've seen the best of Matt Smith yet. You know, Todd, I think this is the first time in drag racing history a member of the Smith family has had a 10-pound weight addition and nobody has said anything. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny, Brian. You know, you wonder what it's going to take to slow that team down. I mean, literally, he's undefeated in his career. He's he's going to two races and engages more than a hundred pound, a hundred points ahead of everyone. It's it's amazing. I don't think anything's going to slow him down. I, you know, we talk sometimes in meetings, and it's like, well, it's it's way too early to think about championships. But to me, it's not. I, I, there's no way that guy's going to lose. I mean, he just. You know, you throw him into the four wide deal. That that can't be easy for any of those guys, and he just kills. He's even better on the tree, and he's got the best bike. And it just it's it's an amazing thing to see. I, I'm super impressed and a, and a big big fan of that guy. Yeah, and you know, and and Todd, I was thinking of something as I was getting ready for the show, and that is, you know, we've seen Justin Ashley win back to back this year. We've seen Dallas Glenn win back to back this year, and then you know, it didn't it didn't happen three times in a row. I think the difference is, you know, Dallas Glenn, or rather, uh, Gage Herrera has won two races in a row, technically back-to-back, because they were the first two pro-stock motorcycle races, but it just feels totally different. It, it just, it does not feel like the guy got away with one or that he snuck one by. It just feels like it is a, a domination that is not really slowing down anytime soon, nor, as you said, who's beating this guy? Yeah, I mean, what's it going to take? I mean, you know, over the course of, of 16 races, yeah. or however many they have, so, you know, something will happen things can go wrong break that it's like you've got you know the best technology the best minds the most experienced teams and then some guy who totally deserves it i I think that's what's amazing it's not like you know as far as i know he he paid anything i mean you know they saw him they were i mean how great is that How, how how must that feel for that guy it's like Oh my God, Vance and Hines wants me he's only run a handful of races and they want me and then he gets on and so you've got 
think of the pressure for this guy, right? I mean, it's like, well, you know, we're handing you the best bike out there. A lot of people thought this thing should have won the championship last year. What are you going to do? And what more could the man have done, you know? Hey, Tony, you've been on multiple race win streaks over the course of your career. You've seen it happen. You've kind of lived it. Uh, is this on the level of those back-to-back wins we saw from the other guys, or is this is this a different level entirely? No, I, I think there, there's a different level. I, I don't think we've seen this kind of dominance and performance, but – you know, something that Todd said, you know, reminded me, and, and Todd can uh, Todd can relate to this. I mean, how many how many drivers or riders have we seen get on good equipment and not pull through? So what Gage has been able to deal with is, is the mental aspect of it and all the pressure. So, I mean, he has a machine, but, you know, he hasn't made mistakes. Look, and yeah. mistakes are going to come, especially when Matt Smith and some of these other yeah. riders and teams really start to push. But that's one of the things that's been impressive is that he has held up to the pressure, and that's not an easy thing to do. Um you can go back in history, and there have been some drivers that have filled in in some good cars. I remember when Brandon Bernstein uh, hit the wall, and and he, uh, you know, he injured his back, and they had a substitute driver, and it was such a good car then. And a guy Redlin, and I, you know, I just it just goes to show you the pressure that some of these racers feel. But that's one of the things that mentally Gage has been able to, uh, you know, to to hold up to all of those pressures, and that. That in itself is is impressive, but um, yeah, you know, I think they, you know, like they say in football, the best uh, defense is a good offense. That's what I think the teams are going to have to do. The ten pound change, we may see that in sixty feet, but you know, these bikes are accelerating quicker and harder than they ever. I mean, Brian, you and I look at the numbers, and when yeah. we see a 104 60 foot time <laughs> pop up, it's like okay, just follow the run, follow the the you know, other incrementals. And let's just see what they do. And we're just seeing more and more of that. It used to be a 105, a 106, 60 foot time, even a 107. That could turn into a good run. But we see that that 104 pop up on the board and it's like got our attention for those six seconds. Yeah. And and Todd, you know, the last point, um, you know, really on this subject to me is like this is one of those weird kind of sports moments where you look at Gage Herrera as almost an underdog because he's like this young kid. He's coming in and doing it. But at the same time, he's like the underdog for Darth Vader on the Death Star. You know what I mean? It's like it's like you have this split between this amazing team. And I'm not, you know, I'm certainly not talking ill about Vance and Hines, but that's what they are, this Colossus. And this young, kind of quiet, respectful guy. And it just is a very interesting thing to watch because if you put, if, if somebody with a lot of experience that was really verbose got on that bike, if Matt Smith got on that bike, God forbid that ever happened. But if Matt Smith ever got on that bike this story would be a totally different narrative it wouldn't feel or look at, at all the same well it, it just seems like that he's the perfect guy for the for the job you know I, he doesn't look like he seeks a spotlight or or yeah he just goes about his business just on a coincidence i happened to be at the same restaurant that they were at uh sunday night in gainesville so that was you know his first win and you could see him over there obviously they're having a good time because they won but it was interesting to see how uh how he fit in and his dad fit in with that team and Eddie definitely seemed glad to have him as his <laughs> teammate. I mean, they seem to be very happy and uh, you can tell they know that good things are coming. Yeah, and look, Eddie made an inference in uh, in Charlotte, Todd, that basically said that that Gage was teaching him a couple things or that that a couple of things that were going on and you know he mentioned this thing that they took the cork out of his bike but he made it seem less a mechanical cork that was in his bike and more maybe a operational cork and and that in in and of itself is is pretty damn interesting as well well it shows what they think of the young guy if 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 someone who's experienced and as accomplished as Craywick would listen to him that 
Yeah. That says everything right there. You know, Tony, let's switch gears to Pro Stock Card. You know, we got a couple of, of, of really developing storylines here. I guess the first one I want to get out of the way is that, you know, last year, I think personally, we went overboard with the when's Torrance going to win a race story? When's he going to do this? When's he going to do that? It's like we ground the poor guy into dust. And, and to his credit, he stood in there for the majority of the year and answered the same damn question week after week until he finally couldn't take it anymore, which showed a very high degree of professionalism in my eyes. And I think the same thing is starting to shape up with Eric. I, I think we got to get off that story to a degree yes she's struggling we know the car hasn't been good it hasn't been good since the get-go so i I, your opinion on this like do we just let that storyline just kind of go out to pasture and let it play it out or do we just keep grinding on it well i mean i think i think the expectations are what they are when you have a driver and a team that have been so dominant you know it makes you wonder it's it's no different than watching the NFL team. It's, did they lose it? Did something change? Yeah. And, um, you know, I think, uh, I think for Eric, I mean, the number is three hundredths of a second. Yeah. You know, that's, the, it's not that everyone necessarily got quicker. I think a lot of teams have, have improved, have gotten more consistent, but the fact is, is they have fell, fallen off, um, race to race, a year to year, they have fallen off three hundredths of a second. So, you know, what that could be mechanically, I don't know. There's something there. Uh, I'm sure they're, you know, they're trying to figure out what it is. I, you know, and there's always the, there's always, you know, if you talk to a lot of the competition, you know, there's always these conversations about, well, they were, maybe they were cheating. What were they doing? Maybe they were bending the rules. You, you know, it's not even worth yeah. really mentioning no. unless, unless you can prove it. So, you know, I think, um, I, you know, I, I mean, it, it's just nature is going to take its course. And I think that when she runs good, you know, and I just go back. I, I know she hasn't qualified as well. Um, she's not as good as she has been on the starting line. But, you know, she's a little out of sync. I think drivers naturally try to make up some of the difference themselves. And, you know, when they get a little tight, they don't get quicker. They slow down. So uh, I think the car is the biggest, you know, part of that equation. And, um, you know, I go back to Gainesville. She qualified since her car wouldn't start. So it's kind of been a little bit of a decline since. But, you know, we're going to keep watching her. We're going to keep talking about it. I don't know that we should ask her every time like we we badgered poor Steve Torrance because it wasn't us asking her. It was somebody else asking them the same question over and over and over again. But, um, you know, you can't you can't help but not watch what that team is doing, her in particular because of the expectations yeah no and i agree with that and and you know at some point you know uh, at some point you got to look around because right now todd we're basically halfway through the pro stock season right the regular season for them is basically half over because they run 12 regular season races and then uh, they run the six countdown races so you know for them being as far back as she is and i realize that she is the defending champion she's a multi-time champion and that's why this story is interesting but there's really not a lot left to say, is there, until that thing actually goes out there and qualifies top half or top three and she goes a couple of rounds. There's not a lot left to talk about. Well, you know, it's gone on long enough now where I think you, it's like, is this just what it's going to be? My guess is no, just because of what she as a driver and they have a team have, have accomplished over many years. But it's like, you know, it isn't just one run and we miss a setup on Friday night. You know, it's just kind of, further down there than she has been and um i just know as someone who's involved with the interviews for the show uh she's a she's a favorite uh, yep. of mine always people she's you know people 
react to her, like like her or don't. I yep. think most people do. I mean, you know, I'm certainly uh, uh, impressed with what she's accomplished. It's it's incredible. I like that you can always go to her and she'll give you a real answer. A real a answer. Times, yeah. You know, a lot of times you you throw it to Amanda and the person starts talking. You're like, oh my god, or, you know. The old turn around. You can't even remember the name of all the sponsors. Turn around and read them off the side of the car. Like, well, that was that's just what everybody wanted to hear. Where she'll answer the question. You know, yeah. she can get in her she can get in her sponsor names like yeah. Kenny first did so many years ago, where he slips them in there. And but she answers the question and she deals with things. If she does poorly, she'll you know she'll cop to it. So I don't think. I don't think uh, the powers that be on our show, the higher ups, are going to get too far away from her because she's a story. Yeah, she's always going to be a story. But you know, the thing is, I, I know Tony knows this. As long as she gets intent by the countdown, then she's fine. Get your act together, then plow through these things. You know, she, it's all still out there. She it is still win the championship this year. It is, and it would be the comeback story of her career at this point to be able to to to, to kind of mash her way back in again. And this brings up the Derek Kramer point. So Kramer wins in Charlotte. The last race, uh, or he is, he won the last time we raced in Chicago in 2019. And for lack of a better term, the guy kind of disappeared after his last win. He he won the four wide race and uh, rather the fall race in Charlotte, I guess, in 2019. And then those guys got into a mechanical mess that they just kind of figured their way out of. And Derek Kramer's a guy that you know, we've kind of lost sight of him because he hasn't necessarily been in the conversation that often over the last couple seasons, but this guy can wheel and giving him a car again is now another uh, kind of great element to this pro stock season, which has showed us, you know, Dallas Glenn really returning to form. Troy Coughlin Jr.'s looked really good. Um, Greg Anderson's kind of down there languishing a little bit in the bottom half of the top 10, but Tony, Derek Kramer, as quiet a guy as he is, can definitely throw down with the likes of Hartford and the rest of these people. And it's a great addition to the, to the kind of rumble we got going on yeah Derek Kramer is one of those racers one of those drivers that when I have seen him in the past over the past year or two or even three he's one of those drivers that I wonder it's like well what happened yeah. what you know they were kind of in the mix not long ago because they had performance and he had talent and you know he reminds me a lot of Matt Hartford just maybe the, the mild uh, yeah. the sneaky version of a, <laughs> right. of a Matt Hartford but just as much talent and I just you know I look at the numbers because occasionally we'll see someone back into a final round yep. uh, that you know they weren't the quickest they weren't the best car they kind of got a couple of breaks along the way <clears throat> doesn't often happen in pro stock but it's happened before but that wasn't the case for Derek uh, Kramer he um, they ran just as good, if not better, than everyone else. And, you know, he, he won the race. So, I mean, if that's any indication of what you know, what the future holds for that team, you know, they if they found the combination, they found the range and something that is going to work for them, and if they can run, you know, in the top five, if, they're, if they can have the performance of a top five car, Derek Kramer, just one of those drivers that can make a difference, uh, between winning and losing because of his talent on the starting line. Yeah, that's a fact. And and you brought up Matt Harford's name and Todd. You know, Matt is Matt is having inarguably the best start of a season he's ever had. He's had a couple of number one qualifiers, which he had never done before coming into this year. Has not translated into a Sunday afternoon Wally hoist yet. It does seem like that's on the on the kind of on the docket at some point here early in the season. But 
Matt is doing an interesting job of illustrating the difference between qualifying and race day, right? I mean, we see that manifest itself in a couple different ways, but two number one qualifiers, he's not able to finish on Sundays, but man, it, it does illustrate that there is a market difference in how you approach a Saturday to a Sunday. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you there. It was amazing to me that he had never qualified number one yeah. before, and, and now he does. And it, but you know, he'll probably get his one win. That's one of the most insane streaks that I think you were the first person I ever heard say it. I remember Kurt Johnson did that like twenty years ago, and he did it in the most awesome way possible because he basically went two years without winning a single race. But he still kept his streak alive. Like he won the Winter Nationals one year, and then he didn't win to the World Final. But but it was in the same year. It's amazing how Hartford you and the way his cars run. It's like, do we really think he's going to go to a dozen more races this year and not win one? He'll win one. He's, he's good enough on the tree. I sometimes I think. Sometimes I wonder when he kind of gets into gamesmanship up there if it does him any good or if it or if it actually hurts him a little bit, like with Ricky Smith. But what it for sure is is entertaining. That's why I always like to see him do well. Yeah, I mean he's going to do something there, whether it's the whether it's what you expect or not. That's I agree. That's one of the reasons I think he's one of the most fun guys in the class to watch. And you know we got the callout race this weekend, Tony, and it was funny because he had told me in private. Um, on Sunday night when I was talking to him in Charlotte, I said, who are you going to, you know, who are you going for? I said, you got to go to Christian Quadra, man. You got to slay the beast. This guy owns you every time he sees you. And he looked at me straight in the face and said, I will never <laughs> pick that guy. He said, I'm not picking that guy, not in a million freaking years. And so we had a, a virtual press conference last week with the pro stock drivers and I didn't out him. He outed himself. I said to the media, I said, one of the drivers on this panel has already explicitly told me who they will not be calling out in the first round. And he raised his hand. He said, it's me. He said, I'm not picking Christian in a million in a million years for a million bucks. I'm not taking him. So how do you like Matt's chances in this all-star callout? It seems to fit his personality type better than maybe even a formal Sunday race. Uh, see, and we've always we've always said this. Matt is actually a smart guy. Yeah. And he doesn't pull any punches. That is a wise decision. You know, if you go back to the four wide, and I think a lot of racers are glad that, you know, they're moving on, going yeah. back to the standard racing, especially the ones that had some issues some difficulties on the starting line and got waxed on the starting line. They're going to be real happy. But, you know, if you met Hartford, I mean, he had an 014. I mean, yeah. Derek, Derek had the quickest car, yeah. um, you know, but Matt, his car instantly went to the right. I'm sure they'd like to have a do over there, but uh, you know, he really picked up the pace. Uh, things didn't go his way on the starting line uh, when it really counted in Vegas, but he sure recovered well. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know who he's going to pick, but I'm I'm pretty sure that we're all going to be thinking right now. Erica is is yeah. probably the one that you want to pick. So I think he may he may consider that for just for the sheer um, uh, reaction that it could have uh, on the call out. I think he hey, Matt Hartford's an entertainer. I, yeah. You know, I think he's got talent. He's got a good car. He's got good chemistry uh, with Eddie as tuner, and that's a very close knit team. Um, but you know, there's a side of math that's, that's just, it's good for the pro stock class where the class has issues. There's a lot of Chevys. It's just, yeah. you know, the competition's so close, but Matt just stands out and that's a good thing. So, you know, I think we're all going to be watching to see who he picks, but I wouldn't be surprised if he does, if, if he picks, um, you know, Erica, because, uh, you know, she's really not the best. I, anything can happen, but yeah. you, when you look at the, the selection that he has, there are no bad ones, but. You know, you're going to go with the best, the one that you're going to have the best chance against. And 
I think because the guy's got that little glimmer of, of flashiness in him, uh, I think we know who he's going to pick. And I think what's interesting, Todd, is uh, in talking to those drivers, especially the KB drivers, and I'm sure it's the same for the elite crew, but they basically, Dallas said that, you know, Rob over there, the, the lead crew, the you know, lead brain of the operation is going to kind of lay out who's picking who. And then Hartford piped up and said, hey, listen, I'm a rental customer. I'm allegiant to nobody here. So um, he does become the wild card there. So you could see. You could see him pick a Koretsky first round. My bet would be Erica as well um, for himself, just because I think he'd want to do that. And secondly, I think uh, I think he looks at the numbers very diligently and thinks he has a better car. But if you're looking at the lineup of the eight drivers, Todd, uh, who do you want to see first round? Who do you want to see out of those eight drivers squaring off in round one? Well, I mean, to me, the thing, it seems like the smart thing to do would be to pick Erica. This is the time to get her when she's down. You can yeah. say you beat the world champ. She is the you know, many time yep. world champion. This seems, and I really hope somebody picks her with the first. I hope the first guy uh, picks her because you know it's that's Dallas. Dallas Glenn's picking and, number one. So there you go. So it would, you know, I mean, that's going to be that's going to be fun to watch. I mean, you know, we work on the show, but everybody. I mean, we're all fans of the sport too. I mean, I you know, first round is always the funnest part uh, of this job, and and the, for the call out deal, if he chose her. That would be the pair I would want to see the most. And he probably, if she doesn't run better than she has to this point, you know, that's probably his best bet anyway. And, Tony, before we move off of Pro Stock, I think that this call-out and the Pro Stock motorcycle call-out, but Pro Stock car specifically, feels different and is different because of what you mentioned earlier. When we go to the nitro categories, there is such a high level of unpredictability there on the starting line. Is it going to spin the tires, whatever? But these cars, by and large, go down the racetrack. So to me, the microscope is actually a little bit a little bit tighter focused in on the pro stock drivers in this call out format than it is on the nitro side because you know let's say we look at uh we look at the the top fuel you know look at the top fuel call out from uh, from Gainesville. Um, I'm not sure anybody had pinned Josh Hart to win the thing, but you look at those eight cars and not one of them really stood out to say, oh, this guy's coming in with a distinct performance advantage. Brittany's coming in a couple hundreds better than everybody else. Whereas in this pro stock thing, we know who the risers and sinkers are at this point. So it definitely, to me, has a little bit more of a personal feel than the than the Nitro callouts. Yeah, and you know, I if I had to still favor someone, and and this may even apply for the championship. I mean, it has to be Dallas Glenn. You know, he's it's it just the car fell off a little bit, and but they you know they have the recipe. I still think he is the best driver within that uh, KB Titan team. Um, you know, so I, I if, it, if you look at you look at the talent that's in there, you know, I think we're all asking the same thing when. Are the Quadras going to win a race? Christian, uh, Christian uh, Fernando Jr. They now have the performance, so I think it's going to be a big, a big day when they do get to the winner's circle. I think yeah. there'll be a big celebration. But I think it's just a matter of time. And you have, you have Aaron. So you just have so much talent. You've got uh, experience. You've got youth. You've got some of these younger guys that can wobble, that can get off the starting line. But you know, when you talk about pro stock, everything matters. It's a chess match on the starting line, but the drivers and their timing and their consistency in the car and then everything the tuners are doing from, you know, track position to, 
how they're setting the cars up. There's just it, it's so much detail when it comes to these machines. I agree, and it hasn't been that well publicized. But the total purse of the thing is like forty five grand, and the winner gets basically thirty of it. So it is a great payday for a pro stock team. Um, you know, we talk about the the amount of money these cars consume, and it's massive. Whether we're talking about motorcycles up to top fuel, but thirty k on top of uh, race winning payout, perhaps perhaps for somebody on Sunday, is a really nice payday for a pro stock operation. Nitro Funny Car. Alexis DeJoria is number two in the points, Todd. This is statistically the best car in Funny Car right now. That The physical car itself is inarguably the quickest on average on Sunday. It goes down the racetrack the highest percentage of times. Is this a team that over the course of the, the rest of this season can hang in this position and actually threaten for a championship? They can. You know, it's it's interesting because uh, I think no one is a harsher critic of Alexis than herself. I agree. See it when she's interviewed, I I used to know her when she raced alcohol funny cars. She's a very modest uh, person. Um, you know, she comes from a affluent background, and she knows that. And so I, you know, she doesn't want to. I don't know. I think she goes out of her way and doesn't yeah. give herself enough credit. Sometimes I think. Uh, Hey, she's won Indy. She's won five or six races. She can do it because she's done it many times. And how, how impressive is it? You know, Del Worship. I mean, look at look at what he's up against. With granted, there's there's no money spared with Alexis's deal, but it's like he's the premier crew chief on Funny Car this season. That car hauls ass and does it consistently. If she is at her best she can do it and the thing is she doesn't have to do it for 21 races she needs right. to do it for six races obviously she's going to be in the countdown if she can put that together for a stretch it, it could go away and that would be that would be that would really be amazing if she did that i would like to see that tony we saw her drive a solid race at at charlotte i mean we did in the final she was like 82 hagan was 50 something because he's hagan and this is what the guy does but if to me, if she can keep herself in the window that she was in, which was in that '80s range for for several of the runs on Sunday in Charlotte, that changes the whole dynamic of what that car is. If she can be '80s, that car could win races. Well, the other thing that that the, it's not just uh, good trivia that that they're the quickest car. I mean, we saw this this uh, we'll call it the John Force effect. You know, John's John's always been he's the driver that he is. I mean, he wins races because of who he is because of his ability and what he's done. But, you know, there was a lot of years that uh, when Austin Coyle, when they were just dominating uh, because they had such a performance advantage, now everybody, you know, some of the, there was some cars that could get close to, their, to, to John's performance. But we saw a lot of times that they would, other teams would beat themselves. When you have the quickest car, the most consistent car, now you're forcing teams to put themselves in a position where they're going to have to push. And we know when you push these cars a little too hard, they go over the edge. So, you know, if you ask me the same question you asked Todd, yes, they can't compete because uh, while Alexis may have her issues, she is vocal about that. She knows that she needs to pick the pace up on the starting line, especially when you're racing Hagen and Caps and J.R. Todd and, uh, you know, Robert, some of these, some of these drivers that have, you know, pretty close to the same car, the car's performance. So, you know, a lot of races are going to get won and lost on the starting line, but she knows what those challenges are. But the cars there, one thing about Alexis is, uh, you know, like Todd said, she has won some big races and occasionally, 
she will give it to you. She'll give it to you on the starting line. Uh, she may not be the most consistent, but if she can make some improvements in that area, um, and you know, this is just this is a this is a place that this team has not been in where they have the quickest car, they have the most consistent car, and you know, a little more pressure falls on the driver. But um, you know, if they can start winning races, I don't think you can stay out of the winner's circle and expect to go into the countdown and, and, you know, work your magic. I think she has to do the work now. If they can win a race or two or, or even three would be better, then yes, they'll be able to contend in the stretch. Some of the other teams are going to get better. Caps call right now. They're just not that consistent. They're smoking the tires. Some of these teams are going to find a range. They're going to get themselves in the picture. Um, maybe even Cruz. We've seen big improvements from Wilkerson. Tasca hasn't been in the winner's circle, so she's going to have some tough competition. But you know, with the car that they have right now, it's it's uh, it's it's not a it's not a fluke. It's not a you know flash in the pan. And of course, I meant to say Robert Hyde had that uh, fifty-three or whatever uh, reaction time. Very solid, very solid reaction time in the final round as he goes on to win in Charlotte. And Todd, is this the uh, is this the return of Robert Hyde? Win is uh, is the first the two first round losses over the first four races after he had none last year. Is that all behind him now? Does one win really change it that fast? Well, it's not that he won this one time. I mean, to me, he was never gone. That's two races. You know, I, I mean, who's who's the best? fuel crew chief over the last many years uh, you know if you had one james j proc <laughs> you, you might you might want to go jimmy proc I, you know I, there's 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 several right up there at the top but it's like when height lost those two rents like i didn't even know that he lost he, he until we had it on the show where yeah. he went a whole year that's that's an amazing statistic but really it doesn't matter and and losing these first two rounds, that, that doesn't matter. It didn't make me think any less of him. I wasn't that surprised to see him win again, you know. But if you if you think back to that final, it's like he barely won, right? I mean, the guy in last place went three ninety two. I think everybody went ninety two or better. They all had Alexis had an eighty two. That's you know okay. Um, the rest of them were really good lights. Yeah, you know, it's like he's he's right in there. I wouldn't be surprised if Hype won the next. Three races, and uh, well, if you won three in a row, I take that. Probably would be, but you know, I would be surprised if he won this weekend. I wouldn't be surprised if they lost in the first round. Who goes for it more than Jimmy Proc? The really amazing thing is that they went with such an aggressive tuner as Jimmy that they went a whole year without ever getting beat in the first round. You know? Yeah, and and Todd, or rather Tony, we've seen this car a couple of years ago in the countdown. It just really, it really faded. You know, that was that was a tough thing to watch for that team. And so I was wondering if they had found themselves in maybe another one of those ruts. But this was uh, this was a very short rut, if it was one, in fact, with that win in Charlotte. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's always it's always the same teams. You know, the expectations are we know who the three are. We we've talked about them for the last three years. Um, you know, and and I think the mark of a good team, the mark of a good driver, and that just the chemistry is 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 the fact that when they win, they look so dominant. They make it look so easy, and then the expectations are well, why can't they do that every week? Next week, it might be Caps, might be Hagen. Um, you know, so the question yeah. is, is who is going to step in and challenge it? We know who could. Uh, I think that Cruz and Tasca are probably the next to win a race. Uh, you know, Tim Wilkerson, it's like, you know, I don't, sometimes I wonder, I know the Coletta cars are testing. It's, it's sprinkling. I think if, uh, according to the forecast, it's supposed to stop within the next hour. So those cars, 
that are testing, you know, you got the Coletta cars, the funny car, and the dragsters. You got Antron, you got Mike Salinas. Uh, those guys, you know, they, 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 they need business. So they want to go to Chicago. They want to go strong. But, you know, J.R. Todd's another one of those cars that when he enters that conversation, I, I think it's not going to be just the top three. It could easily, and it should be easily six that we're talking about. But, you know, what Robert did in that four wide, it's, you know, it's, it's like they make it look easy. The good ones do. And, and we would expect really nothing less. And I think, I think whatever they found, that's what they work on in the winter. Yeah. You know, they say racing never sleeps. So they look for things. They look for consistency. They look at the numbers. They break down uh, how their car performs against the rest of the field within the first 60 feet, 100 feet. So their only, um, their only issue was, you know, was the application, you know, was the consistency. And boy, if they can fix that, but uh, I don't think they're going to fade like they did last year. Are we going to talk about this season for J.R. Todd as pre-Pomona and post-Pomona? I mean, it just it's it's been, you know, at some point you have to move forward and not blame stuff in the past. But but geez, I mean, it, the last four races have been uh, a couple of first rounds of DNQ and another first round loss. And I know they're testing. Have you heard anything from the Indy test session, Tony? Uh, not yet. No, I think today was the day. I know there were some cars, uh, not nitro cars, because nitro cars you can hear. Yeah. They sound like a stampede of elephants. But uh, I think today was the day that they set aside. It was somewhat of a package that, okay. of testing that, that the teams uh, opted for. Um, but, you know, it just goes to show you, uh, you know, some of the, like I said, when, when you know, when, when Proc, when that team wins a race, they make it look easy, but there are just so many things that can go wrong. So many things have to be right. And, but when you're watching it, it, it could seem like tennis, you know, it's like, yeah. okay, they just hit the ball. It goes over there. They hit the ball, <laughs> but you know, it just goes to show you how much of an impact that they had on GR Todd. You know, when, when John ran into them and they wrecked, they forced wrecked the, the, the DHL car. Uh, I think they had made the second quickest run of that session. So, I mean, these guys were, you know, they seemed to be finding their rhythm and it, it just, everything, it was like the music stopped for them. So I think they're still trying to collect themselves. Yeah. Um, that what a rough week that, that had to be for that team. And I don't think they've recovered. I mean, it shows in the performance. So I, I think if you got to relearn the car and the controllers and the management, everything yeah. that was changed and the balance of the car. And I, you know, you got to give him another race or two, but as soon as they, they get it back, we're going to say, okay, now he can challenge because I think they were going to be, I think they were going to be a factor up until that happened. Let's move to top fuel. And, you know, Todd, as I was putting my, my notes and stuff together for this weekend's race, I'm writing out the top fuel points and I rub my eyes a couple times because Two out of the top three cars in top fuel have not won a race. Steve Torrance leads the points, not a race winner yet. Leah Pruitt is in third. She has not won a race yet. Justin Ashley has won two races. We got Austin Proc back there, Mike Salinas. Uh, you got Antron Brown, lang not languishing, but Antron Brown's back in seventh. This is the old uh, home run hitters versus a batting average guy. Well, and then there's Brittany Force in fifth place. I mean, she could have won any of these races. I mean, to me, she's, until proven otherwise, she's the favorite. Uh, you know, that's still ultimately when everything is right. You know, Force force picks who he picks. He knows what he's doing. You know, you, if you're going for the ultimate home run hitter in a funny car over the over the last many years, that's Jimmy Prunk. And from the time he was with 
Grubnik. I mean, that Grubnik was with uh, Clay doing the same thing for much less money on a much smaller scale, but consistently running low ET. You know, Brittany Force still hasn't been heard from the way she's going to be, but it it is kind of bizarre. I knew that Torrance was was in first because I remember being surprised a race or two ago when in a production meeting that came up. I was like, God, that's right, he is. But but what's more amazing is Leah. I mean, yeah. she's totally flown under the radar. And you look, it's like, wow, she's in third. Matt Hartford's in second place. Alexis is in second place. The hell is going on here? <laughs> I've been watching all these races. You just, it just kind of slips between the cracks, you know. But I, but I do think Brittany will be heard from real, real soon. Tony Lee has qualified top half every single race so far this season. Averages uh, averages a three point eight, so averages about a fourth place qualifying position. And I have to go back to that number as probably the biggest reason she is where she is right now, because obviously those early favorable matchups have allowed her to advance to a multiple a couple of semifinals or runner up. She was, you know, second car across the finish line in Charlotte and her quad. Um it all starts there to me. She's not being put in a position where she needs to try to go up there and be whatever, 30 or 40 on the tree against a number nine qualifier if she's eight. She's in a position where the car should carry her through the first round with her doing a serviceable job. Yeah, you know, I think the interesting thing about Leah, a lot like Alexis, uh, you know, she's she's a little hot and cold in the seat. So when you break down the overall performance, I mean, you can't deny the consistency, the yeah. performance of that car, they have found it. And, you know, we kind of saw them really start to find, they ran 366 at the last race of the year. And, yep. you know, when you can run in that range, it kind of puts you in a very, very small group of cars that when the conditions are right, they can run that quick. So, you know, Neil is, you know, kind of taking his lumps, but he's, you know, he's gotten to the point to where this car is running. And now, you know, now it kind of falls on the driver. Um, you know, because if you're going to compete, you know, you look at the top 10, top 10 right now, there's Tony Schumacher and Clay Milliken. Those are two pretty good cars. They lack some serious consistency, um, you know, but down there lingering in seventh, you got Salinas. Salinas was knocking down wins last year, right? Winning multiple races. And we saw a little flash from Langdon, Josh Hart, you know, Doug Led. Those are good, high caliber teams, good drivers without without performance right now. So, so Lee's going to have to contend with that. She seems to be good for one or two rounds and then she falls off. So I think that's something that's very fixable because a driver that is consistently slow, that's hard to fix. Yeah. So I think, I think it kind of falls into the mental discipline or the mental preparation that driver goes through um, and to, to block things out. And I think that that's all that Leah lacks. And, you know, I think the best news for her is she's done it before. I mean, we've seen her in the winter circle, and she's won some tough races, races on hole shots. So I think for her, now that she has a car, maybe it's going to help the driver get uh, in tune and sync with the machine a little bit better. But uh, I think that Leah does have the potential to compete in the top five. And if you can compete in the top five and top fuel, you're going to be there at the end. It makes sense. And, and, that leads us naturally to to talk about the Coletta cars, which we always seem to double back on and kind of wonder if and when we should be expecting something to happen. I mean, Doug Coletta's trend, semifinal in the first race, second round, the second race, and then three first round losses. You know, Toddy's averaging a 59 light. So, I mean, as we've, I guess, long always known, the issue is not between the frame rails, at least sitting ahead of the engine. No, it's just the consistency hasn't been there, which... 
it hasn't been there for a few years. They've had a few people calling the shots over there. You'd think with Alan Johnson, I mean, the most prolific top field crew chief ever, you'd figure it's not going to last forever, right? I mean, Coletta as a driver, he's always going to be, you know, for car control, maybe number one, certainly top two or three. Yeah. I'd probably put him number one. That thing he did in the final at Topeka about five years ago was incredible. That was awesome. What the hell he was doing. That was so amazing. But obviously he knows exactly what's going on with his race car, whether it's, you know, from his, his uh, sprint car days or maybe it's just, obviously he's just naturally gifted in knowing what a car's doing. I'd, It'd be nice to see him run a little more consistent. He certainly can get it together at any time. I just remember a couple of years ago, uh, Pete Richards came up uh, from our show, came up with this amazing graphic where it was like, has not advanced past second round in a year and a half. Yeah, that like, was wow. astonishing. That was that was like the best font of the decade. I, you know, whenever it really surprises you, someone who follows the sport closely, you, you see something like, holy crap, God, that's really been a blank show over there for a while you know so i'd like to see him get it together and odds are they, they probably will sooner or later yeah i i don't and i guess tony the one thing we've always kind of looked at each other and said is it's just like at some point it has to change like you, you think about it but maybe it doesn't and i'm not saying that to be totally negative or a jerk but like we keep looking at it saying well, they got this, they got that, they got the other thing. They're testing, they're doing this. They ran 64 down in Gainesville. Okay, things are starting to change. And then it's like, damn. Like, it's 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 like there's something fundamentally wrong happening, and I certainly can't figure it out, and apparently they're still trying to find it out too. It wouldn't be hard for us to grab a few hundred people and protest and picket out in front of the track <laughs> with signs that say, give Doug a race car. <laughs> Because this guy gives me as as many as as much as I can forecast who I think is going to win the race or be strong. Yeah. I, I keep going with Doug. I keep going to the well. Me too. And then he flashes. Then they'll throw a three sixty four out there, which you know that's pretty spectacular. But I got to tell you, this falls on the tuner. It's that simple. Not the team. Not the parts. Not the driver. It falls on the tuner, and it makes you wonder. You know, like Todd said, this is hey, we're talking about Alan Johnson here, so this is like bringing um, uh, you know Babe Ruth back. Yeah. Uh, you know, w- w- not past his prime, no, but in his prime. That's who yeah. we're talking about. So, but it really makes you dig in a little bit because Alan knows. I mean, he knows how to make a car run at three sixty four, but the car just has a tendency to smoke the tires. Now, you can give him a mulligan. Because it was his first year last year, okay, yeah. uh, he had to, you know, he had to uh, redistribute some of the weight differently because Doug is a is a much bigger driver than Brittany. But we're talking over a year, guys, and it really makes you wonder. I always think of the the mental aspect. I, I try to dig into the psychology of some of these. Now, Alan, it was the the the, the premier tuner. Not anymore. That that title goes to a guy named David Grubbett. This guy has an Australian accent that is arguably the best in top fuel right now. So it really makes you wonder, like, are these guys just trying to push a little too hard? I, I just, I get the feeling sometimes that Alan doesn't want to run with them because that's, to me, I always wanted to just get close. Just get me close. Let's see who the good driver is here. I don't know if, if Alan is, is, has that kind of a state of mind. I, I wonder sometimes if he just wants to, to bury these cockroaches and, and tries to run too hard because when you press, 
these cars break traction, and that just seems to be the pattern with that car. Makes you wonder. I know there's a lot of moving parts to how these cars perform, but you know, yeah. I, I wonder. I wonder, and I just keep waiting for that car to rear its head because you have a talented driver that can win a championship. But right now, he just doesn't have the car to do it. And last, you guys want to talk about uh, Justin Ashley and Austin Proc. And, you know, Proc's win was huge. Um, you know, he adds to his total, you know, keeps chipping away at him here one by one. Chris Cunningham, you know, gets his first as a lead uh, lead crew chief on a top fuel car. Um, and it, to me, it's, it's kind of two interesting stories because Justin Ashley's car, on the weekends, it is good. It is spectacular. On the weekends that it isn't, he tends to blow the tires off early. For Austin Proc, it may be a bit of a different storyline in that this was a team that was finally kind of fully coming together, and, and we saw all those pieces finally mesh for a win in Charlotte. So if we're looking long range down the road here, Todd, if we're going to reconvene this meeting in like October – which one of those guys will be higher up in the point sheet when we get to that late date in the season? Will it be Ashley or Proc in your estimation, or will they be kind of glued together, kind of like they are now? I think they're going to be pretty close. I mean, between the, it's like, you know, Proc was kind of established as the best lever, but really Justin Ashley has proven himself to be the best lever in any professional NHRA class. You know, as good as Proc has done, I mean, Ashley's like he's never late. You know, it's like it's like a 58 when he's not yeah. right on it, you know, which is lots of people would love to have a 58 light. I mean, that's so. And then both cars run. Um, you know, it's it's surprising that they, they fell into their problems in the countdown last year, I think, because uh, they had gone so many rounds that they ran out of consistent clutch parts to put in it. And that's that would totally be a reason yeah. for inconsistency. Um I, I, really, when you think about it, it's like you, you win or you go out first round. That's not the worst thing that anybody ever did. It's not like you're fifty fifty. Right. You know, you're winning eighty percent. If you if you if you win every other race and go out in the first round, that's that's four wins out of five for round wins, right? I mean, you can you know that averages out to a semi. Plus, you have a bunch more trophies piled up at the end. I, I you know, I I'd, I'd probably go Ashley by a hair just because. Although it's close. I mean, so yeah. Cunningham's barely done this, and he's already got a win. I don't know. If you, if you put a gun to my head, I'd say I'd say Ashley by a nose, but it could obviously it could go either way. What do you say, Tony? Well, we wondered what would have been if Proc would have gotten the start like he has uh, last year. Yeah. You know, they didn't really come on until the countdown. That's when they started hitting their licks. We're going to see how good these guys are. Now, if you had to ask me, and the numbers don't lie, but my personal take is there's nobody better and more consistent than Justin on the starting line. He's the quickest. Car control, I'm going to Doug for car control. So, you know, Justin is a very well-rounded driver. He's gotten better. He's made big improvements. But there are certain drivers, when the car leaves the starting line, when you talk about car control, that I want, I want to go to. I'm going to go to Doug. I'm going to go to Antron. I'm going to go to Sean Lang. And there's certain drivers that are just smooth. They know how to feel the car. But leaving the starting line when the car is locked down, there's no one better. And Justin's car, Mike Green, it seems like they've kind of been taking the, the, the road less traveled, which is consistency. And that's going to win them races. And that's going to put them in a position when they need to uncork, I, I think they can do it. So I think they're a very well-rounded team. Uh, I know Brittany, there's going to be, you know, Steve is really the biggest surprise to me because um, while I still would argue with anyone that 
the competition is tougher now. There's yes. no doubt about that. If they want to debate me, they want to debate us, Brian, get them on the podcast. But they, they don't want they don't want no parts of that. So I, I just think that the competition is very tough. And I, I think that Steve is is just being a little too hard on himself. I think that I think that he's mentally takes himself out of the game. If you go back to the four wide, and I know it's four wide, but you know, you got beat on a whole shot in the first round. You got beat on a whole shot in the second round. <clears throat> and he, he just got off too early. That's just something going on in his head. He's trying. He's very competitive. But I think when he settles down, if he can settle down, if he can become the Steve Torrance that won those championships, that I just, I've seen flashes of Steve that can be good. Maybe not as quick, but he can run with anyone. So, I mean, my expectations are to see Justin there. I think Pac is going to enter that mix. Uh, I think it could be Steve Torrance and hey, whoever else wants to come to the party. But those, those are, those are my top three picks. Uh, as good as Brittany's car has been, uh, you know, they're dabbling with a different combination. That car runs big speed. I'm sure that car is going to run quicker, but that car has to run two to three hundreds quicker than everybody else even though i'll give britney credit for making improvements on the starting line she's quicker she's more consistent she has improved there's still there's still four or five drivers i think that that you have to be able to compete with them on the starting line because their cars are about just as good as anyone's yeah, and the math the math actually bears out exactly what you're saying. Torrance uh, averaging, uh, we count green lights in this, obviously, but he's averaging 49 over the season. Brittany's averaging 67. Proc is averaging 56. And, of course, Justin Ashley, an average of an 043, which is just, as as Todd said, just kind of otherworldly. All right, last question for both of you two. Todd, alcohol, funny car racer. Did you ever race at Chicago? Give me a good Chicago story. Um. <laughs> Oh, jeez. Yeah, you, well, the last time I went there, we got to the semifinals. Um, and the first time I ran there, I know you're going to ask me this. Um, the first time I ran there, what I remember the most was, uh, it was one of my first races in NHRA. And, and of course, a screw blower car that's a lot faster than an IHRA roots blower car that I had driven years earlier. So uh, I ran my first 560-something, a 569. And uh, they in those days we've got two shots and then before the fuel cars even ran so we have two shots get the clutch done uh throw it in the trailer and then you know i use my national dragster hard card cruise up right on the start line and watch the top fuel and i'm standing there and uh doug coletta the quietest most mild-mannered who i didn't even know he knew who i was he just comes over and he's like hey yeah uh, so your first 560 that's pretty good i was like wow it just, it, you know, they raced yeah. it, but I looked up to that much. It, it just made, it made my day. That's probably what I remember the most about running Chicago. That's great. Tony, you won four times at this place, if my math is correct. So you got to have a couple of good ones. I'd love to take the credit, but I can, I can say this. <laughs> I, I, I won those four races with the tuner that is just coincidentally still tuning somebody's car. So, uh, so I'm going to give them odds. <laughs> I'm going to give them odds this weekend. You know, the thing about Chicago, it's all concrete. Uh, you know, I think the elevation is about 600 feet. So when the conditions are right there in Chicago, <clears throat> I think we can see some big runs. And I, I just, I remember, uh, when I started my own team and it, it took us about a year to be able to win races, but we went there with the, we did a cross promotion with DreamWorks. It was a Shrek car. And, and one of the most, the classic photos, um, for me was when we ran, I think we ran 331 miles an hour. Of course, I was in a quarter of a mile 
But John was on the starting line. He was like off to the side, just staring at the scoreboard. So we were never real, real good news because I left, of course, um, and, and Dickie came with me. But, you know, the thing about Chicago is it'll take the power that you can throw at it. When you look at the forecast, uh, the potential forecast on Saturday, it could be really quick and fast. You know, so Friday could serve as a setup run. You know, if somebody has the nerve to try to run quick, which they probably won't. I mean, the good cars are going to run quick just because they run in a certain range. But, you know, if the conditions, if the sun's off the track, if it's, you know, hovering around the mid-60s, you know, these cars, fuel, if you can burn the fuel, that's what makes the horsepower. And tuners like uh, Dickie Venables, like Grubnick we talked about, maybe Alan Johnson, it's going to work in their favor. So I think I think the expectations are pretty high. And we don't need to talk about the facility because there were always a couple of facilities that stuck out. Of course, the yeah. ones that Bruton Smith uh, built. Who doesn't love to go to Sonoma? Right. But Chicago was just one of those places when they built it. We really thought this is the future of drag racing. This is what it should be. And we're going back. That's the best news. It is. Fellas, thank you so much for taking the time. Great conversation as always. I will see both of you this weekend as we have our lovely production meeting on Friday. We put the Super Friends Network back together and go make some drag racing TV. We'll see you guys there. See you, Todd. Bye, guys. And we'll be right back with some final thoughts here in the NHRA Insider Podcast. All right. So back here with some final thoughts on the NHRA Insider Podcast this week. Great conversation with Todd and Tony. It's fun to go down some of those roads and get their professional opinions on what we're looking at, what we should be looking at, and really who needs to uh, figure it out quick and and who is kind of who is the story that wants to be the story and who is the story that does not want to be the story so far this year. And as we know in this sport, those things can change on a dime, but oftentimes they change kind of gradually. We get to go back and put some pieces together, like that of Derek Kramer. We started to see some stuff happen in a positive fashion in Vegas. We started to see the car go some rounds this year. Then they win the four wide nationals in Charlotte. Get your tickets on NHRA.com for the Gerber Collision Glass Route 66 Nationals presented by Peak. This is one that has something for everybody. It's kind of a weird, smaller version of the U.S. Nationals. we got a drag and drive exhibition. Alex Taylor and those guys, uh, Tom Bailey, Alex Taylor, a cast of great drag and drive heroes will be there. Mountain Motor Pro Stocks, full category of Pro Modified, 21 top fuel cars, overflow in, in uh, Pro Stock and Pro Stock Motorcycle, Too Fast, Too Tasty happening for Top Fuel, uh, Pro Stock Motorcycle and Funny Car, all-star call-out happening for Pro Stock, huge field of sportsman cars, 500-plus entries, and your tickets, if you want to get them for Saturday, get them now, because Saturday, the way that they have the seats proportioned this year, where they're seating people, I'm willing to guarantee you we run out of availability on Saturday to put people in the grandstands. It's going to be great. Going to be fast, going to be fun, and the weather is looking mighty fine as well. It is so cool to be back in Chicago. Last time we were there was 2019. The Safety Safari has been working on the racetrack for the better part of a week now, rotating, scraping, building that rubber base up. If you're worried about how the surface will be, we ran a regional there last year. The injected fuel cars, the alcohol cars were flying. This surface is going to be great. It's going to be great for the sportsmen when we start out on Friday morning. It's going to be great for the pros when we get there on Friday afternoon. Live qualifying show Friday from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern on FS1. If you can't be there, the next best thing, tune in to Tony, myself, Bruno Massel. I think Joe Costello is going to join us this weekend. A lot of fun coming at the Route 66 Nationals. Be part of it any way you can. Follow along on NHRA.com and social media channels for all the latest news and updates. 21 top fuel cars in Chicago, including TJ Zizzo. Got to be great. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast.